calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Warning. Today's story is pretty gross, even by our standards. Not in a gory kind of way, but in a tapeworm kind of way. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 25. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that features strange stories by strange authors for strange listeners such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, it's our 25th episode, so I thought we should do something special. Every week we bring you stories from different genres and you never know quite what you're going to get, but you should know by now to expect the unexpected. We try to bring you work that'll scare you and gross you out, thrill you, or make you examine something differently, and make you laugh, ideally all in the same story. This week's piece is sure to deliver all those things or your money back. It's called The Worm Within by Vincent Eaton. Vincent is a novelist and an award-winning playwright who lives in Brussels, Belgium. He's also acted on stage, in films, and on television, and is a voiceover professional and stand-up storyteller. Check out his website at www.seriousfunbiz.com. This story was previously published on thefray.com with some really great artwork. You should check that out. So, make yourself a plate of linguine and get comfy. Without further ado, The Worm Within by Vincent Eaton. When I go to the bathroom, I usually expect it to be a non-event. After so many years, there are few surprises left for me sitting on a toilet. Yet, it was there where I first discovered an uninvited entity 
that wanted to call me home. I had finished doing what we all do at the toilet, and stood, turned, and looked down. But first, a few research results regarding human behavior and waste products. You see, for some people, everything that occurs at the toilet bowl requires denying. There are those who, after avoiding their bowels, scamper from the toilet to a corner of the bathroom and kneel to pray. Forgive me my sins, O Lord. I try to keep it away from your eyes. I do try not to do it, but I can't help it. Then there's the opposite type who actually bend down to study the stuff like a gypsy interpreting tea leaves. Honey, I don't think we should go to the Remingtons for dinner tonight. According to what I see in the toilet bowl, the signs are not favorable. Then there's the third type, like me, who stand casually and almost like a cat turn around to look down and make sure. And there it is. Yep. Shit. I'm nothing if not consistent. But this time, looking down, something caught my attention. Among the customary residue, there was a bright, clean, white thing down there. I looked more carefully, becoming a typical tea-leaf-type personality. Strange. I had never seen this before. Should I be concerned? Open the bathroom door and invite someone in for a second opinion? And then it hit me. Of course. I had eaten some spaghetti the evening before. This is probably just a little undigested bit that somehow got through. I flushed. Two days later, the usual toilet routine. Sit, let her fly, liberal toilet paper usage, stand, trousers up, turn, about to flush. Shit. There it is again. That little white thing. I quickly reviewed the meals I'd consumed recently, and I didn't remember eating any pasta for days. I was going to assume this was a freakish thing and flush the toilet and breezed along with my life until a couple of days later, there it was again. The albino king sitting on top of his soft brown throne. Now it was time to call my doctor and scream help really loud. This being Belgium, my place of residence, I made appropriate weird sounds in my crummy French, describing how some albino visitor had developed the habit of showing up unexpectedly every couple of days in my toilet bowl to say hi. Once seated in my doctor's office, I explained how these bits were thin and white, but how I felt fine otherwise. My doctor sported a nice little trimmed goatee, and as I finished my story, he chuckled. Little contented, muffled sounds. I waited patiently, bitterly. Monsieur, he finally said, after he'd had his fun. Ce n'est pas grave. Je pense que vous avez un verre solitaire. I had a verre solitaire? What was that in real English? A solitary worm? A lonely worm? A worm that kept to itself? A moody worm? My kind of worm? An individualistic worm that had taken up residence in my intestines? A worm of character? Uh, the English term suddenly snapped into my head. You mean, I've got a... There's a pa parasite? A living thing? In me? I placed my hands on my tummy like a pregnant woman. I stood. A tapeworm? I climbed onto the chair as though escaping a mouse, gripping my guts, fingers scraping at my navel. There was more me living in me than just me. 
an existence, a thing I did not want, didn't want, no want. I wanted, I wanted my mommy. The doctor, no longer chuckling, asked me to please sit down so he could tell me how to get rid of it. I came crashing down to sit on the chair, blathering, how do I kill it? What's it take, doc? Where's the bullet? Give me a pill, do tricks, make it go away. I was leaning forward, my nails scribbling on his desk. Some sort of living thing inside was eating with me, sleeping with me, sharing my childhood traumas without my permission, and was with me during those intimate moments when I achieved orgasms, with or without a partner. How embarrassing. The doctor educated me. Broadly speaking, there were two types of tapeworms that could be my roommate. There was your basic pork tapeworm and your basic beef tapeworm. Eat some not-so-cooked pork or beef and you could get some eggs inside you that your warm, moist innards would nurture and hatch. For the pork parasite, only a few meters of intestine were required. However, your beef tapeworm was an altogether mightier alien. The beef worm could grow more than just a few meters. It would keep adding to its body, lengthening and snaking throughout the miles of intestine, and I have it on good authority that with the small and large intestines combined, it could reach the moon, loop it twice, and then come all the way back down to earth, and you'd still have enough left over to play jump rope with. This beef tapeworm would fill all this out until it eventually ran out of intestine and would pop out saying, Whoa, air, <laughs> can't go out there. My beef-based houseguest had grown so big, so happy, so healthy, had filled me up so much that it now had to drop little hello bits of itself in the toilet bowl every few days just to let me know how things were going. Diagnosis? I was pregnant with a parasite that had started its life going moo. I thought hard how I could have become so impregnated. Oh, yeah. It dawned. When I first came to Belgium, way back when, I had sat in a restaurant looking at a menu in French and Flemish, neither of which was very enlightening to my basic English. I spotted something on the menu that read, Filet Américain. I was American. It said, Filet, this was made for me. I assumed it had to be a hamburger or, or a steak. I didn't want to reveal myself as a typical American abroad and demand explanations in slow, half-shouted English. I was a hopeful sophisticate. I ordered my filet, sat back, and waited to be served something recognizable with a little American flag stuck in it. They returned with a platter of raw hamburger. An equally raw egg lay in the mini crevice they had pushed into the top of the mound. They showed it to me. I thought, well, this is special, as though this lump of meat was some exotic fresh fish or an expensive piece of sirloin they were displaying to me before cooking. I nodded, thinking, great, go cook it, put it in a bun, bury it in ketchup and yellow mustard and onions, and bring it back. Instead, my nod was taken as agreement, and they placed the dish in front of me and departed. I looked from my plate at the retreating back of the waiter, back to my plate of raw meat, raw egg, mayonnaise, garnish, some french fries. What lay before me was a good start, not a finished meal. I glanced around at fellow diners to see if they were staring in horror at me, but no. In fact, some guy two tables over actually had the same thing and was mixing it all together in his dish and then putting forkfuls of the stuff in his mouth. This seemed to be a typical Belgian dish. Be cool. When in Rome.
So I squished the meat and egg together, stirred the mayonnaise in there, mixed in some raw onions, added salt, pepper, sat back, gathered courage, put some on the edge of my fork, slid it between my teeth, slid it out clean. Let my tongue judge. Amazingly, it wasn't disgusting. So I took another forkful, tasted, judged, and in went another. I ate and ate it all and ordered it on several occasions thereafter, one of which probably wasn't as moo-fresh as could be hoped, and hence the birth story of my beef tapeworm. Okay, Doc, thanks for the lesson, but how do I get rid of it? I was already entertaining dramatic fantasies. I visualized the tapeworm securely hooked at the bottom of my throat, using the spiny little stabbing things they had, its mouth ajar, and every time I ate, it ate. I drank, it swallowed. When I got caught in the rain, it stayed dry. I imagined starving it out. Not eat for two, three, four days. Then I would get a piece of raw steak, open my mouth, and dangle it just in front of my lips. The tapeworm, famished, would smell it, crawl up, peek out, see the meat, and, starved and of course unable to control its hunger, lunge out with its mouth open, and just as it was about to snatch the morsel of meat from my fingers, my teeth would snap shut like a mini guillotine, and wham, a beheaded tapeworm. Except my doctor said it would be much easier than that. He handed me a prescription for one single pill. Take it in the morning on an empty stomach. This pill would kill the head of the beast, which needed doing since if the head wasn't killed, the tapeworm would continue growing and flourishing, and possibly with time, make menu demands. I headed directly to the pharmacist, purchased the pill, took it home, created an altar, placed it there, and worshipped it for 45 minutes as the answer to all my dreams and prayers. Oh, mighty pill, death to the demon residing within. Next morning, I popped out of bed, got myself a glass of water, removed the pill from its altar cushion, placed it on my tongue, closed my eyes, swallowed, declaring, Take that, monster of the deep, you never-ending strand of unspooled spaghetti. I smacked my lips together twice in double delight and thought that was that. It wasn't. About an hour or so later, I felt an imperceptible movement within me. Cautiously, I sat and waited. There it came again. Something moved, squirmed, inside me, down there. I sat very still, as though listening to echoes in a canyon, or noises in a dark forest. Nothing. Nothing. There it was again! There was a shifting around inside me. Then there was a more sudden, thrashing movement within, and that's when I realized, that's when I knew... My tapeworm was going through its death throes. It squirmed and twisted, spasming. Why didn't the doctor tell me about this part? The bastard! And my guts cramped and churned, and this went on for five, ten minutes, until just as suddenly, it subsided, ceased. It was over. My tapeworm was at peace. I celebrated by going to lunch at a restaurant and ordering a large mixed salad something inert that had never breathed or mooed or snorted or had a face. I was famished after the slaying of the dragon within and eager to eat for just one again. I consumed my meal with gusto. Life was good when parasites were gone. 
Before ordering dessert, I detected that gentle pressure of my bowels demanding relief. So I patted my mouth with my napkin, moved my plate aside, got up, asked directions to the toilet, and went, happy as a lark. Once behind a locked cubicle, trousers down in position, I relaxed and thought pure thoughts. Upon completion, I leaned over, gathered some toilet paper, reached down under in order to wipe myself clean as usual, but for the first time in my life, when I wiped, not everything wiped away. Something remained. Dangling. I sat up, ramrod straight, utterly immobile, my brain flying. I hadn't thought further than swallowing the kill pill and then living my life. I assumed my intestines would just magically absorb the monster and, hey, presto, that would be it. I hadn't thought. With immense dread, I reached over and got some more toilet paper, folded it over, and just to be on the safe side, I pulled yet more toilet paper from the dispenser and created a pile of tissues. Then, cautiously, like descending into a dangerous lair, I reached down, went under, found me, wiped me, grabbed the dangling entity, pulled, and something long slithered out, giving a distinctly zigzagging back-and-forth sensation within my intestines. This could not be happening. This was not I. This was not my life. I began panting, all alone in a locked cubicle in a half-decent restaurant with a dead tapeworm hanging out of my ass. Where was the doctor? Where was some good advice about what to do next? Where the hell was my mother to kiss it and make it all better? Once I had calmed my heartbeat down to an acceptable 2,000 a minute, I understood just how fully alone on this mission I was. There was nothing I could do but to get great gobs of toilet paper securely wrapped around my hand, swallow hard, again reach down, again get a grip on the thin and slippery thing, and tug. Again that slithering feeling deep within. I pulled and pulled again, and it kept a-coming. I dropped the tissue and sat back. Jesus, how long was this sucker? I remember the doctor's brief education on this. The length of this thing could loop the moon twice, or something-y pretty damn close to that. I calmed the trembling of my hands. More toilet paper. Reached down, got a grip, pulled it, and the slide. Pull, slide. Pull, slide. I got into a rhythm like someone on a chain gang. Pull, slide. Condemned to break rocks and smooth, repetitious movements. No whack-crack, just pull, slide. I started moaning an old Negro spiritual, pulling and sliding endlessly. Oh, Lord, bring me home. Settle me on the bosom of my old ma. Five minutes of this. Ten Maybe fifteen. It was never ending. Finally, I let go. Nearly screaming, I bit my hand, rolled my eyes. I had a breakdown. I thought about jumping up and running, shouting from the toilet stall. I can't take it anymore. I just can't take it. I had an image of my rushing through the main hall of the restaurant and out into the sidewalk and down the street with this long, flowing, undulating, thin, white membrane snaking and snapping behind me, getting caught in pedestrians' feet, having dogs and cats chasing it as if it were some sort of plaything. So I kept sitting, 
almost sobbing. The routine reinstated itself. Toilet paper, stifling sobs, reaching down, pulling it out, hand over hand, the zigzag feeling deep in my guts. Thinking about grocery lists, wondering about the meaning of life, pulling and lip trembling and knowing I had killed it without thinking, never even given the tapeworm a name or taught it to do tricks, and that there might just be an ancient curse connected with it, kill the parasite, and forever pull it out of your ass till the gods were appeased. Th then suddenly, I reached down, and there was nothing there. Nothing dangling, nothing hanging, just air, void. Frantically, my hand searched left, right, and center. Nothing. I leapt up straight into the air, spun around, and nothing spun around with me. I ended my spinning, facing the toilet bowl. Slowly, cautiously, I moved my face toward its opening, wary that it still might have the spark of life in it, and it might leap from my throat when it saw my face. There it lay within, twisted around in all sorts of swirls and crisscrosses, resembling limp, uncooked linguine. There was also a hell of a lot of toilet paper in there. My tapeworm did not pant, did not throb, did not shake or tremble. It lay tangled in itself, seemingly harmless, and I had a momentary urge of scientific inquiry, wondering whether I should scoop it out with my bare hands, place it in an airtight jar, and take it with me on trips to show people when I tell this story and relive this life-changing experience. Share. Maybe publish it as a podcast or in learned print journals with illustrations. <laughs> As if I flushed that sucker goodbye. Well, that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. I find myself forgetting sometimes that there are literally millions of different types of bugs, worms, and other things out there looking for humans to live inside. People are always scared about lead poisoning, anthrax, terrorism, ice caps melting, but really, what's worse than having a bot fly larva hatch out of your neck? Basically, nothing. Well, aside from having to manually pull out your own tapeworm. Ugh. Anyways, that's all for this week. Tune in next week for episode 26. Comment on the website and tell your co-workers about the Drabblecast. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and myself, Norm Sherman, reminding you that McDonald's is still the safest place to get a hamburger. You only have to worry about beef tapeworms when you're eating real beef. In the dark corner table sits Lance Fernandez, the boss. And as women surround him like clothing, all tussled and ready to toss. All tussled and ready to toss. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. 
The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine. Coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.